2: Hi, I'm John McEnroe, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast.
1: Hi, my name is Grigor Dimitrov, and you're listening to Tennis Podcast.
2: Hi, I'm
3: Mats Villander, and you are listening to The Tennis Podcast. Hello and welcome to the tennis podcast. It is a few minutes and about an hour, maybe, after the women's final between Maria Sharapova and a victorious Serena Williams, who has won her nineteenth Grand Slam title, edging ahead of Chris Evert and Martina Navratilova on eighteen, just three behind Steffi Graf, who leads the Open era most titles in the world of all time, and she has had twenty-two titles. Catherine Whitaker, I'm David Law. I think that was a sensational final. I described it on BBC Radio 5 Live. I'm happy to say we're very shortly going to be joined in an interview I've done just a few moments ago with Chris Fowler, the presenter of ESPN's coverage in the United States, who has lots of interesting things to tell us. He was commentating on the match too. But Catherine, that was an amazing final, wasn't it? Uh,
2: I I think it was a good final. Uh, I think it was a very good second set. I don't think I would... Uh, bust any more um, superlatives out of my vocabulary bag than that. You're more raving about it than I am. I, I, my feeling is, as as gutsy as Sharapova was, there was never a moment when I really thought Serena wasn't going to win. And for me, that's, that's, that can't be a sensational match.
3: No, I don't think I didn't think she was going to win. But the the key thing was that even though she threw 15 aces past Maria Sharapova in one set of tennis, which is an extraordinary number, she was hitting the ball as hard as she possibly could. She was hitting winners from all over the place. Sharapova stayed with her. She was hitting winners from all over the place. Personally, commentating on it, and I I realise we get caught up in the moment sometimes, but I haven't seen a better set of tennis in terms of ball striking from those two players against each other at the same time ever?
2: Uh, certainly for a match of those two against one another, I think it ranks up there because they have had some howlers in the past where it's been extremely one-sided. So I wouldn't disagree with you there in terms of their matchups. I I just think I think there were elements of it that I would describe as superb, superb as a serving performance from Serena Williams. It was near perfect. And as a display of guts and... Um, ballsiness from Maria Sharapova I, I also think it was fantastic but as a whole as a complete package I think it was patchy yes there were extraordinary winners and they were going for it but that made it very patchy tennis there were also bad errors and it was all or nothing I think I never quite felt like there was a momentum of feeling like every rally is going to be an incredible rally
3: no but most rallies were ending with either a winner or a forced error
2: yeah, for a, for a period they were and then there'd be a well
3: I've convinced you, haven't I?
2: You haven't convinced me. I have. That second set was very good and after the first set I was I was concerned about how the rest of the match would pan out. So I'm I'm really pleased that it was a good match. I just don't think it was an all-time great match for the reasons I've described. I'm glad you enjoyed it so much, though, David.
3: I had a fantastic time. And if you didn't like it, Catherine Whitaker, that's your problem. Hey, let's speak to Chris Fowler. Yes, it's moments after the women's final, and what a final it was. Won by Serena Williams with her 15th ace of a second set that lasted for more than an hour and was just thrilling from start to finish. Maria Sharapova gave everything she had, but it just wasn't enough against a player, Serena Williams, who won her 19th Grand Slam title and is now just three behind Steffi Graf in the Open Era all-time list, and it is really something to behold to watch Serena Williams go ahead of Chris Evert and Martina Navratilova. Chris Evert, who incidentally has just departed the ESPN commentary box, where I find myself at the moment sitting alongside Chris Fowler, who's been commentating on that match. Chris, and it's it's only a few minutes after the event, but w- what an experience!
0: Yes, and by the way, Chrissy left professing disappointment at being passed by Serena, but I think she was just kidding. She she knew it was going to happen. I think that uh, it was a nice moment for Chrissy and Martina and for Serena to all share together at the U.S. Open when she reached 18, but as champions do, she very quickly began to think about number 19, and now she'll begin to think about number 20 and 21 and 22. But it was terrific. You're right, David. That second set was so tension-packed. It was a great fight, I think, between two of the greatest fighters we've seen in this sport. It was tense, and yet... Serena had, I think, that that tension-proof weapon. It must be nice to to step up to the line and smack a serve when the nerves are getting the better of you, when you know that as the point extends, you're missing. And yet she found a way to get to the finish line in that tiebreak. Fifteen aces in a single set against a returner as great as Maria, who really was just reduced to guessing it at the end of the set.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I commentated on the match for BBC Radio 5 Live in the UK. You were describing it for the American audience on ESPN. And I'm just curious to know how the experience compared for you from where I was describing the action. That was as high quality a set of tennis as I've seen in a long time. And it was two players that were just stepping up, eyeballing each other and just going for everything.
0: Absolutely. And it's been I have to say, a rarity in, in recent Grand Slam finals, especially those involving Serena, because most players will capitulate when the odds are long when they've been beaten in the first set. Serena now 17-0 and 0 in Slam finals when she wins the first set. Marie had never won a major final after losing the first set. I don't know if she was aware of that, but she shook it off, and she battled and competed like very few players. Maybe no other player in the world would do in that second set. Found a way to hold serve six times by... We called it redlining, I and mean, she was playing at her limit and, and serving as well as she could and, and even finding a way to create the occasional chance in Serena's service games. It was wonderful to watch, and I thought the tiebreak really could go either way, David, because I thought Serena was clearly feeling some nerves. If she didn't win points with quick serves, I thought that, that Sharapova could have won the tiebreak, and then who knows what happens in the third set, whether the nerves begin to creep in even more for Serena.
3: You know, Chris Evert, well, you've just sat alongside her in the very seat that I'm sitting in at the moment, overlooking the Rod Laver Arena. a wonderful position you have to commentate from as well. How many does Chrissy think that Serena's going to end up with? Has she given any indication to you?
0: She thinks that Serena's got a few more in her. And I think there's two components to it, the hunger and the drive. And the health and the fitness. And I think that Serena clearly is, is fit and healthy for the moment. That's obviously very important at 33, that she stay fit and healthy. She seems to be as hungry as ever. She seems to be driven. And I think this was a very important major for her. Because I think in 2014, the chance to chase number 18 freaked her out a little bit. She, in her own words, she got too hyped up. Didn't have a good year at the majors. And finally, after Wimbledon, she said, listen, I'm going to take a different approach I'm going to try to calm myself down, be in the moment, not think about the big picture. It worked at the u s Open. I think the way that she played throughout this tournament, yeah, maybe it was second gear at the beginning, but it was it was more than good enough to win, and obviously finding her best. I think it was a severe test for Madison Keys in the semifinals, the nineteen year old that she'd never faced before, and so to get through that, I think seeing the big power shots of Madison, nothing that Maria threw at her was going to freak her out. so I think that Chrissy believes that. Uh, you know, if things don't change, if she stays hungry, if she stays healthy, that, that Steffi Graf is certainly within reach uh, maybe by this time next year.
3: I'm curious to know how you think an American audience views Serena Williams. And, and specifically, what difference does Serena Williams make to your coverage? How, how important is she?
0: Well, this match began at 3.30 a.m. in New York. on the West Coast. So it's in the middle of the night. So we don't attract as large an audience for this tournament typically as we do for other tournaments. Clearly, Serena is a player that will make people stay up late or get up early. I mean, she does move the needle. She's by far the most famous tennis player to American audiences, even more than than, than Roger Federer. She's a very important figure culturally. I think there are people who like any dominant athlete, would rather see others share some of the big trophies. But Serena obviously has a massive fan club. She shared, again after this victory, uh, a small portion of her story, which is certainly very inspiring to to lots of American girls, and particularly African-American girls, to come from Compton and and, and defy all odds and, and do what she's done. So I think she's she's the one player, um, I think, on the women's side that can, who can really move the needle. And Sharapova is the second most famous women's athlete in the world and second most famous player to our audience. So this was, for us, um, the kind of final that would attract the, the most attention.
3: Do you find that when you go elsewhere, if you get other tournaments, and, and do you see a clear peak when they play?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that There's always a great story, and I love every Grand Slam final, as as you do. There's always history to document. There's always a terrific story, whether it's a a Bartoli or Bouchard or or somebody trying to break through and announce themselves as a Grand Slam champion or further confirmation of a champion's greatness like we saw tonight. So I think everyone has a unique storyline, but obviously the bigger the name, the, the the bigger the number of non-hardcore tennis fans will be drawn in. I think people in the States are obviously very interested in what Serena does. And I think now, no matter what sport you love, when you're pursuing all-time records, when you're, when you're chasing someone like Steffi Graf, I mean, that, that's going to be, I think, the dominant storyline for our audience and for women's tennis now going forward. So we've got, we've got a nice, great storyline to, to hopefully weave throughout the rest of the year and, and, and next year.
3: And you've got a men's final tomorrow to look forward to. How big a deal will that be? Back as you say, I know it's the middle of the night, but do does Andy Roddick, uh, Andy Roddick? Well, he resonate, wouldn't he? <laughs> Andy Murray against uh, Novak Djokovic. Does that resonate? Are they are they popular?
0: Oh, I think so. Yeah, I think I think American tennis fans obviously know their stories very well. they watch both of them win titles. I think that you know the the X factor and the challenge for us in presenting it is sort of figuring out okay, what's different? What's unique about this matchup? What might be present for for Novak or for Andy that would flip the script? Everybody knows that Novak goes in a favorite. In fact, according to the odds makers we checked, Novak was actually a bigger favorite in the men's final than Serena was over Maria in the women's final, which surprised wow. me a bit because I think Andy's really in with a chance. Lots of Americans obviously watched his breakthrough at the U.S. Open, watched his historic win at Wimbledon. So people have seen in large numbers, his two most famous victories. And Djokovic, obviously, is extremely well-known as well. So I, I think that people are are used to seeing you know, these guys do battle. There's the hope for fans and for us that they can push each other and, and bring the best out on each other, and we'll see a long fight that's worthy of a Grand Slam final.
3: I'm right in thinking, on BBC Radio 5 Live, one of the things we do early on, particularly in the slams, when there's a lot of matches going on, we try to join the latter stages of lots of matches and just bounce around. I'm right in thinking that that's a similar view that ESPN takes, isn't it?
0: We hope to. I think that there are certain players that will dominate our coverage when they're on court. Certainly is Serena, Roger, Rafa, Sharapova to some degree, and then whenever one of the younger American players is on the court, they'll, they'll get the lion's share. But, of course, we want to bounce around. We know that viewers are making a big commitment to watch this tournament. As I said before, they're up all night, put on a pot of coffee. They're, they're maybe depriving themselves of sleep before they go to work, or they're calling in sick, or they're missing classes. Whatever they're doing, they're committing. And I want to be fully respectful of the commitment that tennis fans make. I think it's a remarkable thing. Not just in the states, around the world. I mean, obviously, folks in in Europe are, are time shifting their lives to watch matches from down here, and and we want to respect that, and we want to take them to places on the grounds where the where the drama is happening, and and make them feel like. Uh, the, the sleep deprivation is worth it. We, 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 we get good feedback that it is for him.
3: And you have more of a commitment to tennis now than ever before, don't you, because you have the rights to all the slams.
0: Yeah, we've had the rights to all the slams for quite a while. The, the fun part of 2015 for us, David, is we get to go first ball to last ball at the U.S. Open.
2: Be there when it happens with daily live coverage beginning on Monday, May the 20th. Subscribe to Tennis Channel Plus to stream daily coverage of Roland Garros. Use promo code TENNISPOD20 for 20% off your annual subscription.
0: So much like this tournament, we'll be able to start and finish it uh, for, for many decades. I think about 45 years, CBS had the biggest matches at the U.S. Open. And we were able to get the rights for the first time to all those matches beginning in 2015. So as we have at Wimbledon, um, we, we really felt flattered that the England Club would, would give us the rights to, to televise the championships from start to finish. And now we have three of the four majors from start to finish. So it, it's, it's thrilling for, for someone who loves the sport. Uh, every, really, everyone on our team loves the sport. So we're, we're very honored to, to be in this position.
3: Do you think the coverage will evolve, change much over the next few years? I'm not sure. I mean, I think that we're always trying
0: to figure out ways to make people watching on television appreciate how great the sport is when you watch it in person, right? How dynamic. I'm sure you do a great job on the radio and you paint these mental pictures. But to see it in person is is a tremendous experience, especially from a good seat. To appreciate the, the speed and the spin, the athleticism, it's difficult sometimes to make that come through a flat television screen so we use the technology as best we can we have all the toys and we we try to i think update our coverage to reflect a viewing public that is really information driven don't you think our world is so driven by information people have an appetite i think for stats and information maybe some of the purists would prefer that we just put the stats away and and not bother them but i think for a certain segment of the population and maybe for viewers that aren't as hardcore the the amount of information and analysis and expertise that that we can put into a match hopefully um, improves the coverage. It's obviously very different from from the old days, and and probably for a lot of people we talk too much because they're used to the old BBC model where you, you said very little and then got to talk in the changeovers. We have commercial breaks. We don't have the chance to talk uh, in the changeovers, so we we, we will be intrude, I suppose, a little bit more uh, than than the British audience would be intruded upon, but uh, you know, that's, that's just, that's the way it is.
3: This is Americans. And and just finally, this is a, a departure from your day job, so to speak, isn't it? Because tennis is something you do a number of weeks a year, but, but you do uh, other sports as well. Well, yeah, I mean, actually I do
0: far more days of tennis than I do American football. I, I cover college football and, and I'm really lucky because college football, like tennis, is a sport in which ESPN has the championship rights. We have uh, the tonnage of the regular season and we get to carry it through to the end. This year was the first year of a college football playoff. There was a four-team bracket to decide the champion. So it was, it was very exciting. Yeah. I was, uh, I was in uh, Dallas on Monday night called the championship game, Ohio state beat Oregon. As very few in your audience will know probably, but then I, I went home for a day and a half and I'm on a plane down here. It's a very crazy gear shift to go from college football to tennis And and to do so within a week. But it's really something that I embrace. I love the challenge of it. I I love that tennis takes us wonderful places around the world. And yeah, I I get to do my two favorite sports at the championship level. So I'm 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 very blessed and and I, I don't forget how lucky I am.
3: And When you do that gear shift, how much prep is required? Are you across it all the time? staying in touch, or is there a bit of a crash course of revising that you have to go through?
0: Well, the tennis off-season, really the part of tennis that falls after the U.S. Open, that's the meat of the football season, and my attention is required there. I will watch tournaments, of course. I'll watch the year-end championships as a fan. Uh, I try to do as much prep as I can, but I'm a little bit like Serena. I have to work my way into the tournament. I have to, you know, take it slow and easy the first couple of rounds. Hopefully, try to play things in second gear. Lean on the experts that are 365 tennis people, and then hopefully by the, by the second week, and you know, you've seen you've seen these great champions play all of their matches. You describe them, and you you get up to speed. But I'd be fooling you if I said that I arrive here 100 prepared because even though it's a long flight, you can't read everything you need to know before a Grand Slam, right? No,
3: absolutely. Let's just end on a, a little prediction for yourself from, for, for tomorrow night's final? Andy Murray against Novak Djokovic.
0: Only because it's you, and I, I never make predictions on TV. I leave that stuff to the experts, but I, maybe, maybe no one on this podcast will know. No, you know, I mean, Novak is the obvious pick every single time he takes the court on a hard court. And I, but I've sort of changed my mind. I know that Andy's a significant underdog going in. I have a feeling that, that he may take this title. I, I really do. I, I think that he's arrived with a cause Andy plays best when he has a cause. And proving people wrong about sticking with Amelie Maresmo might be the cause he needs. Proving people wrong who said that he was in a funk, staggering through the 0-2 arena. What a miserable way to end 2014. And there were a lot of doubters. I think he had a great month of preparation. When he took the court against Dimitrov, there was a cause. Wimbledon payback. Against Kyrgios, it was facing the teenager and the crowd. Against Burdick, it was his buddy Danny Valverde in the opponent's coaching box. He's had a cause every round. He's played his best. I think the cause is there. I'd be a little bit concerned what I saw from Novak in the semifinals. It was a funky match. We sat here with, with Darren Cahill for, for, for three and a half hours, puzzled by what we saw on the court from Novak. doesn't mean it's going to carry over to the final. I'd be surprised if he was at that low level against Andy, but I just think it gives Murray some hope and belief, and I think he's a, a different guy than when he played Novak in the first two finals he faced him down here.
3: It's an interesting one. You mentioned Darren Cahill. You've got a wonderful uh, lineup of people to commentate alongside. Just let everybody know, what what is it like to commentate with John McEnroe?
0: It's a treat. You know, John is a challenge. It, it, you step into the booth with John, you better know your, your stuff, and you better. Come prepared, and you better be prepared for the curveballs he's going to throw you. Because usually, I, I view my position as getting the, the most out of the analysts and, and setting them up and trying to let them shine and not messing up the score. The job's really pretty simple where I sit. With John, I don't have to set him up. He's going to come barreling through the door. He's going to take the... the you know, narrative in several strange directions during a match. It's fun, but it's very challenging. He'll ask you questions like, uh, who did he play in the final of Doha? I mean, because he didn't have notes in front of him, and he's not reading the notes that that closely. So you better have the answer or you'll look dumb. So when you you go in against John, you have to prepare. But I have to tell you, David, calling, you know, the last three – men's Wimbledon finals with John and with Patrick McEnroe from that, that courtside bunker at center court has been a, a spectacular experience because Johnny Mack knows the big moments in the big matches. He's been there. He's won them. He's lost them. He's been the young guy, the, the brash upstart. He's been the, the older guy, is expected to win. He's played all those roles before. And so it's really a treat to sort of sit there and hear what he has to offer. Right? You have to remember not to get caught up in what he's saying and do your own job.
3: Well, it's been a great pleasure talking to you, Chris. Thank you for your time here on the Tennis Podcast, and do enjoy tomorrow's final. I
0: enjoyed it, David, very much.
3: Well, there's Chris Fowler on ESPN's uh, commentary box, inside the ESPN commentary box, and great guy, for a start, and a great broadcaster, and very, very nice with us with his time, and that was moments after, as you heard there, the, the final, and really interesting to see the way they approach their commentaries and their coverage of the sport. And and I think ESPN are doing really great things in the United States for tennis. They really are going to town on it.
2: They have invested in the sport of tennis heavily um, and they're really giving it their full backing in the production they do. And they, they don't just cover it. They really go to town on covering it and selling the sport um it, At a time when tennis is in all honesty a little bit on the wane in, in the states, you know there's no big iconic men's player for them to to hang their coverage on. Yes, they've got Serena, and luckily they've got a few women coming through, but it's not an all-time golden era for American men's tennis, so good on them for throwing all of their weight behind tennis. I think the sport really needs them and i think they do a a great job of it and uh i'm annoyed you spoke to chris fowler without me david well it
3: was great fun i tell you i really enjoyed it as you could have heard there now uh you could hear as well from him that he is starting to get the feeling that andy murray has the upper hand in this final. And there's a few people knocking around the press area who are coming up and saying, I've spoken to people in the camp, apparently he's looking really good. People are starting to believe. Catherine Whitaker, are you starting to believe in Andy Murray's chances tomorrow?
2: I am a bit, yeah. I've been caught up in the wave just like everyone else. It does feel like... I mean, it could all be one of those behind-the-scenes things that we're all creating in our own minds, but it does feel like with every minute that goes by, the momentum shift goes incrementally more into Andy Murray's direction and when both of them did their pre-match press today Andy Murray was unbelievably relaxed he seemed like he just wanted to have a chat with everyone uh, and Novak Djokovic was perfectly pleasant really nice but it was business like you know he wasn't he wasn't there to hang around and who's to say that has any impact on how they'll perform on the court yesterday but in the past you could probably Chart correlation between how relaxed and comfortable Andy Murray seems off the court with how well he plays on the court. So we will see.
3: We will indeed. Uh, I I did promise, didn't I, that I I would say who I thought was going to win. Having picked Novak Djokovic on the outset, I don't know, listeners, what do you think? I'm going to go for Andy Murray. There we go. I've picked Andy Murray for the title to break through. In his fourth final here, Catherine Whittaker's looking incredulous, but let's not forget that uh, I got Maria Sharapova wrong.
2: I'm glad you touched on that, David. Now we've come around to the subject of predictions. Having said earlier in this podcast that I didn't ever think there was a point that Maria Sharapova was going to win tonight, did you feel the same? Did from sort of from, from the first game when she lost her serve, were you thinking, oh, crikey, I've got this really wrong?
3: I, I, I did think all the way through the way Serena was playing it seemed to me that she was just not going to hang around because she wasn't feeling well and she just got herself in a zone and she went for everything and she was for my money unplayable I was just so impressed with Sharapova hanging on and still getting some winners of her own standing up to her standing up to that barrage and still performing so admirably did I think she was going to win the second set no I didn't even as close as she was getting but she wasn't far away from just edging ahead in that second set and maybe getting getting one on the board and then you never know because of the ill health potentially of Serena. But look, it didn't happen. As you said, it didn't look like it was going to happen.
2: But the thing is, it would have for that to have happened, it would have required Serena to drop her level. I didn't feel like... I felt like with that match-up, there's nothing more that Sharapova can do. Yes, she could have served a little bit better. Her ball toss was a bit wayward today, as it sometimes is. But basically, that's pretty much the best she can do against Serena. And she's going out there on a wing and a prayer, hoping that Serena doesn't perform to her best. Now... So I've, I've had a lot of people say, why, why is Sven Grunewald sending her out with that game plan? Why is he not saying you need to do something different? Your plan A isn't good enough against Serena. Well, Maria Sharapova has never really had a plan B, has she? She is, she is go, or she is hit it as hard as you can, go for the lines. I
3: think the, she did come up with a bit of a plan B today. She was throwing in drop shots. She threw in two drop shots? More than that. Went to the net once or twice as well. Look, I, I think the bottom line is she's just not quite as good a player. It's as simple as that.
2: Well, exactly. I think you're right. But I think maybe... I'm playing devil's advocate a little bit here because I actually don't think really that there's, an, there's anything she could have done. However, I'm not sure she'll be sitting there thinking she did try absolutely everything. You know, maybe there's... there's... She did. You
3: reckon? I don't think she could have done anything, anything more.
2: Yeah, you you may well be right. I am right. Right, end of discussion then. (laughs) (laughs) Crikey, can't argue with that.
3: I've got to go home, Catherine. It's getting late. We've got the final tomorrow. It's very exciting. It'll be on BBC Radio 5 Live from 8 o'clock in the morning. We'll have live commentary from the first ball at 8.30am UK time. Do join us. For that, on BBC Radio 5 Live, take your phone with you, listen to it on the BBC Sport app or on the iPlayer radio app. You could even stick the television on and watch that and sync up the pictures with the radio commentary, whatever happens. Do enjoy it. We'll see you soon.
1: The